Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Scale Up Your Business for another week. Here we are. I hope you're all doing well. There's a, a little bit of positivity in certain parts of the world as we look at the whole COVID-19 thing, but equally, there are other places where, you know, there are waves coming back and there's still uncertainty, certainly around business and that sort of stuff. So I, I hope you're doing well. I hope that you are handling all the challenges that are being presented in the best possible way that you can. But I also hope that you're starting to see some opportunities and you're starting to think differently about what you can do with your business as we all go through this, this very different and unexpected environment. So to help you out with that, please join the Scale Up Your Business community. As I said, I've said this on, on numerous weeks now, it's growing by the day. More and more people are wanting to reach out and get help, get some expertise from other business owners, business leaders, entrepreneurs. Um, I put that out there to help people and it's been, been I'm really proud actually of, of kind of the, the various engagement and the various things that are happening in that community as people are stepping up and really trying to help others during a time when, as I said, it has been quite challenging for, for most people. On that, I'm delighted to have a guest on the show today who is going to help you massively. He's going to help you massively because I'm guessing right now that it doesn't really matter what business you, you're in, what industry you're in, you're probably thinking about how can I pivot some stuff online? How can I continue to solve the problem that I set my businesses business up to solve? Because you know what? That probably still exists. You still have a business because there's, there's a, a market out there. There's a customer with a need and, and you have a way of solving that problem. But perhaps you don't know how to solve that problem now that the physicality of, of you know, having a workplace or having an event or doing things like that where people would get together in groups has been taken away from you. So today I have on the show Sebastian Bates. Now, Sebastian Bates is the founder of the Warrior Academy. Now, it would be a disservice to sit there and say that that's just an organization that focuses on martial arts because it's absolutely not. And he's going to tell you more about that when we have him on in a sec. But not only has he got that amazing business, he's also the co-founder of multiple other businesses. And a lot of them are online businesses. And he has, over the last four months, focused his time helping entrepreneurs, business owners, business leaders, you know, make the change and make the pivot. So today's episode is very much practical. There's a lot about his story in there and there's a lot of depth to that story. So I do want to call that out as well. This guy has got one of the clearest missions I've ever heard of any of the guests I've had on Scale Up Your Business. But the reason I wanted to bring Sebastian on the show, not just because he's a great guy and he's doing some amazing things and you can always learn from entrepreneurs who are, who are doing that, is that I think his message today and some of the tips and strategies that we're going to go through is just so relevant for where most people are now. So that's it. Sebastian Bates. Um, yeah, you, you're going to get so much out of this. There's a bit where I had to kind of put the, put the coffee down, get out the notepad and take some notes myself. That's how cool it is. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome to scale up your business, 
Sebastian Bates. Hi everyone, Nick Bradley here. Welcome to Scale Up Your Business. Today, I'm delighted to have with me Sebastian Bates. Now, Sebastian is an entrepreneur, mentor, best-selling author, host of the number one podcast for business and entrepreneurship, Round Pegs, Square Holes, which I've been on, so look forward to my episode on that very soon. He specializes in mentoring entrepreneurs to leave their comfort zone, pivot online rapidly, leveraging their time and amplifying their personal brand to rapidly scale. And he's the founder of the Warrior Academy, a martial arts organization with 5,000 members, voted top five in the UK, as well as the co-founder of multiple online global businesses, including Shield, F10X Academy, Not a Victim, which is an anti-bullying movement. So welcome to Scale Up Your Business, Sebastian. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me on, mate. I've been listening to the episodes and uh, it's a real privilege to, to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you, mate. And, and you know, what's funny, I, I like to embarrass people with the intros, you know, because you've got so much going yeah, on here, man. It's pretty, it's pretty lengthy. I could have shortened that for you, but, you know. <laughs> I didn't go into the rest of it. You've got 500 no. base jumps and skydives. You've done 25 years of martial arts across six styles, competing in all different levels. <laughs> Do you know what? So, so I just for, for the audience quickly for the audience, right? So, so I've, I've known Sebastian now for a few months, been involved in a couple of different programs together. And I, I still can't work out how this guy gets so much done, right? Because when I met him, he was in this kind of 30 day, I don't know, 10 podcast a day. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing, man? You've got two young kids. What is this? How do you do this? What's going on? Yeah, I don't know. I, it's kind of like a series of sprints, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of people say that, you know, what is it, you know, how are you cramming so much in? And, and I, th I think for me, it's, it's just thinking, you know, macro all the time on a lot of things and, and finding your ways of distancing yourself so that you're able to, to make the decisions you need to do. And, and ultimately, looking at your to-do list as a to-delegate list, you can, you can get more done. Yeah. So a lot of that's about focus and intention with time. How did, how did you learn that? Is that something you've just always been good at? I and mean, I know from my background in martial arts, it does teach you focus, right? It teaches you to be very present. Is, is that part of yeah. it? I, th I think a, a few different things, you know, so, so I've, I've been heavily involved in extreme sports all my life. And when you're in extreme sports, you've got to think macro. You, you can't think about all of the small things. When you're, when you're standing with a parachute on your back on the edge of a 3000 foot cliff, with birds flying past you and clouds, you know, creating an opening and you've got to jump. You can't really think about your emails. You can't really <laughs> think about, you know, all these tiny little things. You've got to really have a very um, strong, confident outlook with no hesitation and make decisions very quickly in often very high stressful situations. If I look at, you know, professional fighting in, in Thailand and full contact Muay Thai, you know, you've, you've got to strip back the finer details so you're just thinking about the the most important things keeping your guard up following through with your combinations you know all these different things as, as you know as a martial artist right if you if your mind starts getting too busy you you hesitate and if you hesitate you die right it's a little, yeah. bit, a little bit less extreme in business but you, no, but you get cool the though. this is really this is powerful because i think sometimes people they get in their heads so much right and the journey of entrepreneurship or trying to build a, a really successful business is so much about managing emotions you know, and, and managing kind of your mindset. So, because I, I found, I mean, it's a very short segue story. I, I played basketball and I played a game recently and it was the, so the, it was the championship game um, or it was sort of like the cup game or something like that. And I ended up, you know, I'm the oldest guy on the court and I went out there and scored 27 points and I was in significant flow, right? 
And I put yeah. it down to this. I put it down to I've been doing a lot of meditation, like consistently, like yeah. twice a day for about six weeks leading up to it. And when I got on the court that day, I could just kind of everything slowed down. Everything was just so clear. And I right. think that clarity. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, but that was practice, mm. right? But all the stuff you've done, it's kind of like, and obviously the success in entrepreneurship as well. It kind of, it all sort of, as I read through your bio here, it kind of all looks like it comes together a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, and there have been so many times where I've wondered, you know, is, is, is this, is this aligned with me and who I am or, you know, is this, but, but actually things do knit together. When you look back and join up the dots, you know, I, I see, I see so many parallels between martial arts and business, between extreme sports and business, you know, between challenge and adventure and business and being an entrepreneur and what, what being an entrepreneur actually is, right. It's, it's about analyzing. It's about, you know, making decisions about being creative and thinking on the spot, pulling, pulling through, through difficult times. And um, yeah, and I feel like the things I've done have, have really helped me in that regard, especially when it comes to developing character. Yeah. You know what I mean? Indeed. And also um, being as comfortable as you can be with risk. Yeah. You know, because yeah. like a lot of the stuff jumping through, you know, as you said, a set of clouds with birds flying around yeah. you, that doesn't sound easy. <laughs> but I suppose yeah. the more you do anything like that, the best. This is what I say to a lot of people, right? You know, I say you can get used to anything. So, I mean, you can do like by your... You know, and, and for some people, they get used to things very quickly. And I think I'm one of those people, you know, if, if I've done, I remember after 20 base jumps, this felt, it felt fairly normal to base jump. So then, so then the next, you know, this, this, this happened with skydiving, right? So I started skydiving. I did about 150 jumps or whatever. Okay. It's, it's fairly normal to skydive. The, 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 mis, the problem is you start to be relaxed. And if you start to be relaxed, mistakes happen. And mm -hmm. um, so what I found is yes, while, you know, I get comfortable doing things quickly, I've got to have accountability. So I, I, I tend to surround myself with people who hold me accountable, you know, to have that attention to detail that you, that you kind of need sometimes. Um, and I think that's down to building a good team, right? It is. Well, let's get into a few things today. So we're going we're gonna to talk about a couple of different things. Um, we're going to talk about how you leverage your time, out, out amplify your content, outsource tasks, and we're going to talk about rapidly pivoting and bringing new products and services to market. So I think both of those, you know, as we record this, there's been a lot of stuff going on in the world. Uh, people are having to think differently and they're going to have to think much more quickly with agility and focus and all the stuff we've just talked about for the first five minutes. But before we get into that, let's, let's um, let the um, scale up your business audience learn a little bit more about you, Sebastian. So what, what's your story? Take us through kind of how you've got to where you've got to and, and obviously the success you've had. I'd like to understand the back backstory of that. Yeah, sure. So um, I grew up in the in the southwest of England um, in a military area. My dad was in the uh, in the paras and previously commandos. So for me, you know, my childhood was was filled with that adventure. It was you know climbing climbing tanks, doing assault courses, watching my dad jump out of planes. Um, I was in a school which was had about forty students in the class, and the behaviour was so bad that we had about thirteen teachers come and go in one year. Um, and, uh, Ooh, okay. And so, and so for me, I think my education slipped when I was younger, up until the age of about six. I was quite behind, I think. Um, we, eventually, we eventually moved uh, to, to the countryside and I, I was thrown into a school, a, an old private school. The teachers were sort of 80 and 90 years old, the headmaster and headmistress. A very, very Victorian style of discipline and focus on education and 10 in a class. But it was probably exactly what I needed, you know, more discipline, heavy focus on academics. And it sorted me out. Um, you know, I, I, I struggled to fit in while I was there and I, and I got bullied quite badly. Um, and it's only as I kind of look back and like I said to you earlier, join up the dots as you look back and you realize the impact bullying, for instance, can have 
on your whole life and the the kind of route you take in life changes. Um, and so for me, you know, that had the ability to make or break my character at that point. Um, unfortunately, I believe that it made my character. You know, it, it's it taught me so much about resilience, standing up for myself, believing in myself, all this different stuff, right? Um, and so when I was about 16, uh, 17, I joined the Royal Marines Reserve and, you know, all my mates were sort of 30 plus when I wasn't training with them at the weekends on exercise or shooting or, you know, running around doing assault courses, that sort of stuff, I was out socializing with them. And so I grew up very, very quickly for, for a 17 year old. I remember, you know, putting, putting boots on and a uh, rucksack on and running three to six miles every lunch break. And, you know, it was a very, very focused teenager. I think I was, I was very into fitness and training and pushing myself, obviously doing martial arts the whole way through this as well. Um, you know, competing, uh, competing around the UK in martial arts competitions. Became an English champion and a black belt quite young. Um, and then when I was about 18, uh, I made the decision to, to move to Denmark. Um, it's it's going to change quite soon, this I believe. But uh, back then, we were part of the EU and um, it was, it was uh, possible to have free education at a university in Denmark. I was half Danish um, and so I, you know, Denmark was a bit like a second home. I couldn't really speak the language, but and it was a bit of a second home. So I was, I was uh, quite excited to go there. Uh, went to Denmark, studied architecture. I, at first, I was working as a chef uh, leading up for about a year until, I, until the actual degree started. And then I remember, you know, about a year and a half into this course, um, you know, I had a chat with the professor. And at the time I was, I was you know, while, while, while it was free education, it was, it was expensive to live there, right? So I didn't have any loans or grants or help from, from friends and family or whatever. So it was just me on my own in Denmark, 18. And, um, and so what I, what, I, what I was doing was studying seven, eight hours a day and then washing dishes in a steakhouse for six hours at night. And this is what I was doing every single day, sort of five, six days a week. And um, I was just kind of fed up with it. And I remember, I remember speaking to the professor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is not what I want to do for seven years. I remember speaking to the professor and just, uh, I spoke to her and I was like, where, can I, where am I going to be in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? And I think a lot of entrepreneurs will kind of relate to this, right? Because she, she painted her, a picture for me based on what she thought would be a successful outcome from, from, some, from a student going through the course. And... I think at that point, it didn't really matter what she said. It was, it was as if, if she gave me an answer to that, she was putting a cap on what, what I could be. And so for me, it was like seven years of studying architecture. Okay, then I can, then, I, then you know, maybe I can, can become a professor or, you know, work in a really successful um, architectural firm or whatever. I mean, looking back, you know, you know, maybe I could have had my own practice, or whatever it is, right? But, the, um, but it just put me off completely. And I remember that evening, speaking to an old mate of mine from school and he was in a similar position. He was like, do you know what? I'm not enjoying uni at all. Great for him because he just, I think he just blew his whole, you know, grant on going out and you know, whatever, like, like I think. Like most students, people do. Yeah. Got it. Very understandable. <laughs> That's it. So, so he was just like, let's do something. So that night we booked a one way flight to India. Um, and I think that was a turning point for me. I always wanted to travel more and, you know, I, I flew to India with him and uh, he, he went on a different flight to me. And I remember finding, I, mean, I, in, I got off this tuk-tuk and I saw him in old Delhi sitting on the side of this road. And he, had his, he, had, he was sitting there with his like head in his hands. And I've never seen a bloke look so depressed. He just looked, he looked way out of his depth. You know, he lived in this village most of his life and then, um, and then was in old Delhi because of this, this one idea we had, right? But 
it was just this sense of adventure. And I think, you know, because we both were there together at sort of 19 years old at this stage, it was, it was just such an adventure. You know, we felt so much freedom. And, um, you know, for a lot of people, I think they, they, need, they feel like they need finances to be free and they, you know, they need a lot of money to be free. But something I learned from that was, you know, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a matter of how much finances you got. It's, it's your resourcefulness and your creativity that produces that freedom. Because for us at that time, you know, the perspective we had, you know, we could do anything we wanted. I mean, we, we were spending about two or 300 pounds a month on living. That's it. And we were, we had no money at all. So because we had no money, we were forced to be creative. Um, so we were, you know, sleeping rough on sleeper trains to get across India. Sometimes these trains were two days long, you know, and um, all sorts of places, the places we went and, you know, we traveled most of India for about three months. And, um, and I, I guess for me, this is when I started, it was traveling that forced me to look into being creative, to come up with solutions to help and um, to help local businesses. And um, I'd probably say my first gig as an entrepreneur was actually being a monkey chaser in a hotel in India. Monkey chaser. And, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, what the, what the monkeys like, they come in um, from yeah. the trees or whatever else and you have to get them out. Precisely that. It was a case of, do you know what? I've seen this. Awesome. This, this hotel, there was this hotel. You weren't expecting this, were you? There was this hotel no. in um, Mumbai. And uh, I, remember, I remember we were like, right, we want to stay here. We can't afford to stay here. So we were sitting outside. They brought us a cup of tea or something. And we were just discussing, there's no way we, can, we can't afford to stay here. It was like five pound a night. There's no way we can stay here. But there's branches all over all of the restaurant tables. There's monkeys up there. No one's going to eat out here. So we just spoke to the guy and we were like, look, can you give us, you know, half board and just let us stay for a week if we just get rid of the monkeys for you? We'd, at that point, we didn't really know how we were going to get rid of the monkeys. But uh, he was like, yeah, sure. So we, we equipped ourselves with a couple of brooms. <laughs> we just landed on the hotel, just, you know, an hour, an hour in the morning, an hour in the afternoon, just, just chasing monkeys. And um, that's, I think that's when I realized how aggressive monkeys can be. And I, I didn't realize what I was. He's uh, probably <laughs> laughing at you though, Sebastian. He's probably thinking, you know, look at these idiots. <laughs> he doesn't realize the monkeys are there all the time and there's lots of them. So like, yeah, you're never going to get any like, right. no seeing the city. You're just going to be there with a broom <laughs> running around. <laughs> that's it who are these guys he, he was like he was like these guys these two like western guys are bringing in a right crowd let's let's keep them here. well there you are you're part of the entertainment now <laughs> so we became the entertainment anyway so we stayed there for a bit travel more around india you know we're motorbike motorbiking up and down the, the the coast of goa and just serious adventure eventually i left my friend flew to uh to the southeast asia and started traveling around you know all the countries around there and started picking up random jobs as I went. And it wasn't jobs that I was getting paid for direct. It was all trade swaps, right? So, I mean, one of, one of them I was, I was uh, you know, I'd, I'd go to Vietnam, for instance, and I was working at a hotel there. And I went, I went to, the, um, to the owner of the hotel and I said, look, you know, would you like more, more, more customers to come here? More sort of Western, British, whatever, backpackers. And they were like, oh yeah, and they, they would love that. Okay, cool. Listen, if you, if you can put me up for a, for a week or two or whatever, I can, I can go to where they all come off the bus from Cambodia as they do the normal route. And I can go there, be a friendly face and get, and, you know, and fill up the hotel. And within a week, this hotel was full of British backpackers. And I, and I, started, I started tapping into this and started doing it everywhere I went. And so I ended up in you know, Thailand and I was going to the full moon party in Thailand once. And I, rent, I got there a week early and rented about five or six bungalows and then went to the docks where everyone come off the ferry ready for the, ready for the full, full moon party and you know, rented them out at a much higher price. Um, but of course, it's familiarity, right? 
So, you know, yeah, that, that I mean, is this like your first proper entrepreneurial gig? I mean, that's that, that's yeah, now starting I mean, to sound I mean, like a business because it's not just about getting, <laughs> know, it's not about getting some board and some food. I mean, you know, you can yeah. make some serious money doing, doing that kind yeah, of almost like Airbnb. Rent to rent or something. This is, this is way before Airbnb, you know, this is like the original Airbnb. <laughs> so you could have come up with Airbnb, mate. You would, you would have billions in the bank by now. Um, I should have carried on with that. I was missing something there. But yeah, so, so I, started, I started basically finding these different things I could do. And it's, and, it, and, I, and I, for me, it was like, I, I didn't want to, to go back to England. I knew, I knew this had to end sometime, right? And I, and I spent a lot of time on Thai boxing camps at the time. And I was training sort of eight hours a day every day on Thai boxing camps. And I didn't want to go back to England and you go get a nine to five and work a normal job. But you know, no one around me in my family really, or growing up had ever been like an entrepreneurial influence in my life ever. I never had that. Um, both my parents and, you know, incredibly hardworking dad, army, mum, NHS, both government jobs. Right. So the, the, the concept, you know, growing up would be, you know, go to university, study, get a good job, you know, buy a house, Yada, 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 right? How That's did you, just on that piece, because I mean, both of those, I suppose, careers for your parents are relatively predictable, right? So yeah. they've got a certain degree of kind of, you know where you need to be, you know what you're going to get paid. I, yeah. I appreciate in the, in, the, in the forces, obviously, you get moved around a lot. So there's a degree of that. But yeah. did you then look back at that and say, because you just wanted the opposite of it? Was it like, actually, I don't want that lifestyle? Because it must have influenced you in some way. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I would never, I didn't ever look at what they did and, th and think I would like the opposite, but, but I guess adventure was, was the highest on my priority out of everything. You know, just, I think my greatest fear is living a boring or mundane life. And so the, the, the concept of having, you know, having a life filled with adventure, even if it was a relatively short life, the most important thing is that I really lived it. And I feel like I've lived very true to those values up until now. Um, and, and, I th and I think that was spurred on by my dad. I've, I've often seen some entrepreneurial traits within him. Um, he's always coming up with creative ideas and trying to solve problems, even though, you know, he's, a, he's, he's in the army and he's, he's very much an army guy and has been all his life. Um, I, I saw that side to him. And I think that inadvertently brought that out of me. Um, and, th and then, of course, you know, reading books on this sort of stuff and, you know, very influential books that, that sort of sparked an interest in, in business, especially. And sort of sort of help that along, and I think um, I think yeah. So so basically, I went back to England, and um, I remember borrowing about three thousand pounds from my dad to do a personal trainer's course. Um, became a personal trainer um, in the UK, and you know, six week course, absolutely loved it. Um, and the idea was I was going to run my own business. You know, it was exciting. You know, at least I came back to something exciting. And that was the, who after was that? Out, out of curiosity, who was the course with? Um, David Lloyd. Okay, right. Now, because I used to run um, one called Premier, <laughs> Premier Personal Training. Uh, I used to run all their programs yeah. years ago now. But um, cool. Okay, so yeah, so so you started. So you became a personal trainer. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I became a personal trainer. My first gig as a personal trainer was Thai boxing. It was uh, to to help and um, to help take over a Thai boxing club in a fairly rundown, old, testosterone-filled gym. And I went there, and it was you know full of people who were, you know, having fights at the weekend and um, rugby players and people who just wanted a good boxing session when they got there. And, and my approach was very different because I, you know, I'd come from fairly traditional martial arts into the world of Thai boxing. I loved Muay Thai for its simplicity, its practical application, its, its brutality in some ways because it was so effective as a stand-up art. Um, 
but I had that backbone of um, you know, strong moral compass, the development of character being the most important thing. And you know, while I really, really enjoyed training these guys up, we, you know, we produced about 12 national champions in the first six months. What I, what I really enjoyed most was the sort of 15, 16 year old guys who would come in, often you know, living a life where they're surrounded by drugs and alcohol, separation, abuse, they're thrown out on the street, a lot of them are sleeping rough. They'd come in with black eyes and bruises and, you know, awful, really, really difficult lives they were living, you know, really underprivileged in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, what, what I felt like we were doing there was really mentoring them through some of the, the hardest transitions that they were going through. Um, and it was that development of, of conduct and that moral compass and boosting their confidence and showing them a different way of living their lives, which, you know, I, I look back and hope that made the biggest impact. And I, and I think... I think, you know, that was another turning point in my life where I realized what if I could, what if I could make this change earlier on? And so what I did is I, you know, I, I looked at, I looked at my, my options and thought, right, why don't we start a club for younger children, age sort of four to 10. So I was, I was living in a small village at the time and I went to, I went to the local primary school. There's about a hundred, hundred students in the whole school. And I offered a six week course. We had about 25 students signing up. And it was just a, a massive success from the first, you know, from the first class, really, you know, and it's within a, within a year, we had over, over 200 students in the Warrior Academy. And I was about 20 years old and running about, you know, 20, 30 clubs around the, around the countryside in the UK. And, and it just really picked up, you know, and, and I realized this is, this is what I, I need to pour myself into. I was doing lots of different things, you know, and, and I had to follow what I was A, most passionate about and B was making the most sense from a business perspective. Got it. Wow. Okay. So that's cool. But that's, um, and, and now you've, uh, let's talk about where you are now. Cause I want to kind of, kind of understand, cause you've, you've now scaled this thing and you know, it is yeah. scale up your business, but the, yeah. the, the point, <laughs> the point from, you know, I'm in a, a village hall with, you know, four, four kids rocking up yeah. and you know, you're at the front there doing front kicks <laughs> and whatever else to, you know, 5,000 members, you know, you know, doing stuff, really cool stuff. I know in Dubai with the, the Royal family and all this sort of thing. How, yeah. how does that happen? How, how do you do that? Um, I, 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 you know, I, I, so first of all, guys, yeah, so there's so, there's so many things that add up to, to, to create that change. But, um, but, but ultimately I, I committed to taking the business global and I sat down on a course it was a business accelerator uh, that I know you're very familiar with as well. And uh, I sat down 2017 and, and I promised to take the, 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 the business global. And I remember after it, it took about a year to come up with the idea of how I was going to do it. I had a friend in Dubai and, um, and yeah, my friend in Dubai suggested that I come over have a visit. I was either going to expand into London or expand into Dubai. We wanted to test it somewhere urban. Went to Dubai and I, and I realized there was no one out there doing what we're doing. So if, over a period of about six months, what I did is I, I basically dropped um, pins on Facebook and all the locations in Dubai I wanted to, to launch a club. And, you know, over here, everyone typically advertises in a very traditional way. They're at schools, giving out flyers, all that sort of stuff. I think we've only been to one or two events like that here. And when we, when we have rocked up, everyone already knew us. They're the guys from Facebook, <laughs> you know? So you're doing one Facebook so, ads in um, yeah. basically geo-targeting using the ads. Exactly. All around video content, right? So it's, oh, it's wow. everything we've done is, is about video content, building familiarity. So, okay, no, interesting. You know, so there's people know, like, and trust us. And, you know, we, we set foot in Dubai in our first club in January and we had over a hundred people sign up in the first, in the first month. 
you know, and, um, and then two months later, the Royal family, the UAE, they got in touch with me and, you know, cause, because of our messaging was so clear, the way in which we, you know, we, we brought this to the market is we didn't just guess what people wanted, which is something that we were going to talk about later, but it's, it's a case of really finding out what people want first, spending the majority of your budget discovering, and then articulating your message in a way that really resonates with people and then using video content um, in order to, to, you know, to, to, to share that message. And, um, and that's what we did, you know, two, three months into living in Dubai, the Royal family asked me to, um, you know, to, to train, to train them up um, and start following them around, around the world in their, in their homes and, and very much living a, a jet setting lifestyle. One week in Dubai, one week in the UK, one week here, one week there. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll, <laughs> six months of, of jet lag, very privileged jet lag, but yeah, certainly. Uh... <laughs> but you know, what's really funny about that. So my, my wife lived in Dubai for 12 years. Really? And she was a flight attendant on the, um, for the Royal family. So she used oh, to go really? around okay. and yeah, so she did the same thing slightly earlier than what you're doing now. So that's a bit of a weird yeah. little bit of serendipity <laughs> there. So she knows that world very well. She's got very good tips. She's so that's yeah, cool. It was, it was, it was, it was just like such a, the first year in Dubai was just insane. You know, we, we went from the countryside in the UK to, to running a, a global a global organization we had thousands of students going through our program um, and our workshops and our courses and trials around the world and um, and it was it was super exciting right? did you was, franchise this or something because you obviously you created a method but i, I yeah. assume it's still people going to a place and they're being yeah. taught or instructed in a place it's not all online or anything like that so you must have had a lot of people working in your business yeah i mean we had, we had about 30 staff all over the world up, up until up until the lockdown and then everything was online so we made you know everything was working swimmingly it was it was growing rapidly everything going great our industry can't be disrupted this is going brilliantly you know and then and then no one can go into any place with another person so yeah <laughs> exactly you know and so you know, i remember i was in johannesburg doing a um, spending spending some time with um with on, on the what was it with i was, I was doing a course the break the breakthrough experience course um and that John Martini? Yeah, with Martini. Oh, yeah. fantastic, cool. And, um, you know, this, suddenly I got the news. I got off the plane pretty much. The next day I woke up. And if, if you know his style, you're, you're there studying for like 15 hours a day, right? I got the news from Dubai that they're shutting down all of our clubs. Um, bearing in mind, we, at that time, we were, we were, you know, charging termly. So the, the situation was, you know, it was the same day that everyone was supposed to be paying for the next term. So we had, wow. we had a big team, lots of, lots of expenses. We had about 20,000 pounds going out a month and suddenly we were told there's no income anymore. So stopped. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, from our perspective, it was, you know, thinking about it now, was I, was I in the worst place or the best place to have this news? Right. Well, I'm sat in front of John Martini, who's, <laughs> who's teaching us all about how to, how to, uh, how to put, difficult, challenging times into perspective. <laughs> Probably in the best place in the world, you know what? There's, there's, a, there's a point yeah. where you want to work on your business, you know, in a situation where you're, you've got people like that around you because you're going to be yeah. in the most positive mindset you possibly can be. Totally. But I, and I, I just felt, I felt three or four days of just, you know, it could have brought some people just tumbling down. But for me, I just felt energized and excited and, and very creative. And it was like, you know, this is, we're, we're, going, we're going to... In the, in the same way that I approach bullying, which I mentioned before, right? And we, we do workshops around the world with bullying and I'm, and I'm a huge, um, I'm a, you know, a huge advocate for anti-bullying and we do a big, we do a massive campaign for that at the moment. Um, but it's, 
the same way I approach that, this is not necessarily a negative thing. You know, this, this has the ability to make or break your character in the same way as, you know, the, the base jumping accident I had where I, you know, I was told I was never going to walk again. This had the ability to make or break my character. Um, and it has the ability to make or break your business. And not just that, but all the employees in the business who are also going to go through this with you, it's going to be such a trying and testing time for them. It's got the ability to make or break their character, right? So looking at it that way, I wanted to really use this time to evolve the business, never leaving behind the physical side of what we do, but evolving it and pivoting it so that we were, we were really becoming a hybrid version, which was fueled and driven by online digital assets, which is exactly what we did. Yeah, there's so much in this. I want to unpack a few different bits if we can. So uh, I definitely want to go back to the bullying piece that you mentioned in your um, childhood and then talk a little bit about how that kind of drives what you're doing now. So let's go to that in a second. But before we do that, you said something really interesting that I, I, I listened to when you said, um, I made a promise to take this global. And, and mm -hmm. the interesting word you used was promise. Yeah. What, what, what do you mean by that? I mean, I've got a view of what you mean, but I'm just curious about how you'd yeah. articulate it. It's something I find myself doing quite a bit. You know, so, so I, I've made random promises in my life, which I suppose have seemed random to me, but they've been, they've been fueled by values or, you know, whatever it is I felt that, that were important to me. You know, I, I promised to myself that I won't live a boring life, you know, that I'll always, I promise myself I'll always do what I'm passionate about and not, you know, not do something for many, many years. I'm not, that doesn't inspire me, right? I promised myself when I sat down um, de developing a pitch with Dent, you know, what can I put at the end of this pitch, which sounds cool. <laughs> what sounded cool was I'll take the business global. I had no idea how I was going to do it, but I promised myself to do that. Right. So, so I guess it's, a, it's just a clever way of holding yourself accountable. You know? Yeah. It's, it's what we, I mean, I, I've, I've used, I've, I've heard the term before where it can be an I am statement to some extent. I am this, I am that. That's where you sort of affirm yeah. where you're going to be. So one, someone said to me once, which is a really interesting thing. It's um, a goal is not something that you work towards. It's something you come from. Yeah. You know, yeah. so you, you put yourself in that. It's weird. People kind of think, what the hell did you just say, Nick? That sounds like weird. Well, it is weird because what you're saying is you have to visualize it first. You have to, you have to see yourself in that position. Then you, then it, it makes it easier to move towards it. But I love the word promise. I've never, I've never thought of it that way, but the idea of promising is a really strong commitment. I mean, it's a real personal commitment. Yeah, totally. And, and, and actually we, we've, we've, you know, during this lockdown, you know, I, I, I said to myself, look, I'm not, I'm not going to, to, to take any income out of the Warwick Academy personally for the next 12 months. So we can keep the team, we can keep the business healthy. And, you know, we, we pivoted the whole business online. So within the first 10 days of coming back, I was actually on the, the it was the, it was the day after I flew back from Johannesburg that they stopped all flights. <laughs> and, um, you know, I would have missed my son's birth. I wouldn't, you know, there wouldn't be, I'd have to do everything online and to try and look after the business here. It would have been an absolute nightmare. But, um, but yeah, so, so we, we pivoted the whole business online, which generated an income. Um, and you know, kept the business afloat during that period, uh, and now everything's emerging back. But I, you know, I, I, you know, I said to myself, I'm not going to take an income from the business. So what I, what I said I was going to do was, you know, in order to, to, I, a, spend time doing doing things that I want to do, and you know, um, live that life of passion and create things which I want to do. I'm going to build new businesses, um, but b, as a way of generating multiple streams of income. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I didn't have all my eggs in one basket, which I pretty much did before the lockdown, right? I was running two physical businesses. And while you might, you know, prior to the lockdown, you might think that's pretty safe because you're in two different countries. If one doesn't work, the other one can help support. But the reality is you don't, you don't expect a global pandemic. So you need your, you need your, <laughs> you can't really plan for that, can you? 
<laughs> no, you can't plan for so, that. So one of the one of the businesses, you know, I made about four different businesses and through collaborations and partnerships, and um, in the first two months, and one of them was was based on a promise, and the, the promise was, we had seen uh, me and my me and my uh, really good friend here, Timothy Fair Matthews, um, uh, who, who's uh, one of the co-founders of F10. He and I, we saw so many of our friends, you know, going out of business in the first month, and you know, being unemployed, shutting down their businesses flying back to the UK or worse, you know, not being able to leave because they didn't have the funds to do it. Absolute disaster, especially for, for guys who had families and it was mm. just heartbreaking to watch. You know, very, very physical businesses, no support like the UK with furloughing, all that sort of stuff, just on your own. So what we said is we, we you know, we started a business which vowed to take 100 physical businesses online. So we, this business is just set up to do that. And we're now working with 20 businesses here in Dubai um, to, you know, to, to bring them onto the, to pivot them online rapidly. Okay. So, so this is, this is partly the strategy around that. So how do you do yeah. it? So how do you take an existing proposition that's not, let's call it analog and make yeah. that digital and then, yeah. and then the activation to actually do it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cool. I mean, you, so yeah, I mean, the way, the way I kind of look at that really is, you know, why are you doing what you're doing in the first place? What are you trying to solve? You know, and, and then, and then having this kind of, this moment to step back because you know how we, we talked about how a lot of people they are you know they're, they're thinking so micro they're getting overwhelmed and they hesitate and then they don't make a decision so so the idea is that we've got to go in there and work on their mindset first of all we've got to help them think long term think visionary and think think um, macro and so one of the ways i do that is i get them to accept the worst case scenario right so you're sitting there in a global pandemic and you've lost everything around you or you think you're going to. The first thing I did is I got a piece of paper. I sat down with a piece of paper. Bearing in mind, you know, we had huge teams, huge overheads and no income at this point. This is about, this is about four months ago, right? So I sat there with a piece of paper and a pen and I, and I wrote down everything that could go wrong. Absolutely everything that could go wrong. And um, from, you know, losing the whole business, losing all of our team, um, uh, not being able to leave the country, uh, medical issues, health issues, uh, the, you know, the problems with the childbirth, which was going on around me. All this. How, how long was the list out of curiosity? Pretty extensive. I should have got an A3. <laughs> should have got an A3. <laughs> right? I was say one bit of paper was, um, was ambitious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, front and back, front and back. So, um, so yeah, what I, what I really did was that process where you dive into the pain rather than trying to escape it. Because if you try and I feel like if you try and escape those kind of negative feelings, you don't accept them, and they're always plaguing you and distracting you and stopping you from making a decision. Because you're played with uncertainty, it slows you down. You, there's inaction. The way I right? think so, about that is, if, if if it stays in your head, you're dead. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because 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 in your head, your head isn't a safe place. Really, your head your head will make stuff up. Yeah. <laughs> based on yeah. kind of how we've been programmed and reptilian brains and all that sort of you know, mental stuff that people talk about. But the reality is as soon as you get it out on paper, it kind of, yeah. I, I don't know about you, but I just feel a sense of relief. I go, yeah, oh, yeah. you know, all of a sudden I, I can I see it. I can do so something now. Notes. I write so many notes just to de-stress. If I didn't write notes, you know, if I, if I go on holiday, I'll bring an empty notepad and the whole thing is full on the first day. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But, the, but, but when, I, when I went through this process, you're really stepping into fear and not away from fear. Mm -hmm. The whole idea is that you accept it. So I didn't leave the table until I had completely accepted the worst case scenario for everything. When I had a plan on how to deal with that, then I took the piece of paper, chucked it in a drawer, and now I can work back from that. 
Got it. What's the next Could you learn that anywhere? I mean, I mean, the mindset stuff's an interesting one because I, I mean, a lot of the reasons why people listen to Scale Up Your Business is because actually it's a, it's a podcast about mindset that happens yeah. to be disguised in business. Yes. <laughs> and people yeah, go, because yeah. people think, because a lot of business podcasts are really boring, right? But half the time we yeah. kind of go quite deep into stuff and then people go, oh my God, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Where did you learn this? Is this like just practice all the stuff? Because, you know, the thinking macro we spoke about at the very beginning of this and you learned that through a lot of, interesting stuff that you've done in your life but, mm. but it, it, there is a skill here there's you know not many people do this and that's yeah. where i find that people go backwards because they don't know what they can do you know with themselves i've not i've not i've not read up anywhere on how to do this okay um it's all just emerged from my own experiences I, and i and i guess i guess like you know i i, I mentioned earlier that i've done about 500 or so base jumps and um, mostly wingsuit terrain flying where you know the death rate's incredibly high and um and one of the jumps I was jumping in in uh, Lauterbrunn in Switzerland, and um, you know I had this terrible accident where the canopy collapsed after it came. It came out fine, but it collapsed. I dropped about sixty foot, um, and I broke both legs, feet, ankles, everything. Um, and I was told I was never going to walk again. And um, and I had a business at the time. You know, I was, we were teaching several hundred students martial arts across England, and um, it suddenly dawned on me that I might lose the whole business. And I was about twenty four at the time. And, um, and so it's, you know, I got home and I, and I sat down at home and I just, you know, that could have completely broken me. Um, but what I did have is a lot of time. I had, all I had was time of planning, of writing notes, of, you know, thinking about, of diving into this same process. If I look back on how I, how I dealt with the pandemic, it's very similar to how I dealt with that level of trauma. And so it's, it's diving into it, you know, becoming comfortable with every possible reality and then generating a plan, you know, not just from a business perspective, but a health perspective. And, you know, the, I was, I was back walking again within two years with a limp, but then, you know, that I got rid of that as well two years later and you know, the business, I had time to plan and execute around it, you know, and, and I think sometimes going through these difficult things can be an incredible blessing for you because, they teach you so many things. They do. Right? Which, no, I fully agree. I, I often say that the stuff that feels challenging at the time serves you. And I kind of want to go, before we get into, because I want to I want to kind of, we'll get practical about some of the stuff you've done with these these um, 20 businesses in Dubai, because I think it's going to be very, very useful for people right now. Yeah. But just to go back to the, the bullying point, because um, I want to kind of close the, the circle on that a little bit. Because I mean, I was bullied pretty badly as a kid myself. And I, that got me into martial arts, interestingly. So when I did yeah. my kind of um, stuff with Taekwondo, it was because I had a lot of pain around being bullied as a young kid when I was overweight. But tell me about how that has influenced kind of the wider mission, because what I'd like you to kind of articulate if you can for the audience is, is particularly what you're doing with the Warrior Academy, because it's such, it's one of the tightest, clearest propositions with a really strong mission behind that I've ever seen. And I think just by the way you articulating that and, and how you created that would be powerful for people listening. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was only, it was only later on in the Warrior Academy where I had time to look back. And, you know, if you, if you've ever explored the, the, um, the concept of the mountain of value that you, that you're on, right. Yeah. And, and look, look deeply into why you do what you do. It's kind of like illuminating. And so for me, I could look back and join up the dots, you know, why was I, when, when times were difficult or the business wasn't working as well as it could have been, why was I still passionate about it? What, what moments really lit me up when I was running the business? Why, you know, if I, I could, I could make more money going and doing something else. Why am I doing this in particular? You know? And so for me, 
I'd suddenly realized that I saw myself in those children who were, go- who, were, who were going through difficult times. But even more so, you know, I saw, I saw my parents in the, in, in the other parents. And I, you know, when I, when I used to come home from school and I was being bullied and I saw that helplessness and hopelessness in my own parents' lives, you know, eyes, I saw that in the parents' eyes that I was mentoring. And so what I, what I started to do was really dive into that and lean into that more and more. And my approach to bullying is very, very different to a lot of people. You know, we, we've got a book going out soon. We've got a Kickstarter campaign on that soon that's going to be launching called Not a Victim. And we've got a podcast around that at all called The Not a Victim. Uh, it's the episode is part of the Warrior Academy podcast. And, um, and I started doing these workshops with parents. And, you know, it, it started, you know, teaching me more and more about myself and, and why I'm doing what I'm doing. But my approach is, is all about, you know, this is not a moment that, that is an, it can't, has to be a negative experience in your child's life. It's got, that, it's got that ability to transform your child with the right mentoring, with accountability, with the right course, with the right support, you know, with the right challenges put in place to help them grow. There's this element of post-traumatic growth that can be applied to anything difficult we go through, you know, and, and, you know, you have this, there's almost like this fork in a road based on all the things I've mentioned. You can either guide someone down one route or the other route. And so what we do is we, we approach parents with the mentality that your child is likely to be bullied. If they're not being bullied right now, they are likely to be bullied. When they do get bullied, you need to have the mentoring in place, which makes sure this is a positive experience to develop their character. So that's, that's what we're all about. And so, you know, when I, when I look at, who we choose to work with in the Warrior Academy, it's, we, we you know, most, most people now come from our bullying workshops. So we're trying to fill the academy with people who have very low confidence, very low um, concentration or, or poor conduct behavior. And we look to, you know, transform those three C's to develop that black belt character. So, you know, what's really, uh, the, the clever thing about this, <clears throat> as, I, as I've looked at it, is that, you know, you've gone deeper in, into what effectively, and, and much more powerful, than than effectively what most people see if they just see a martial arts club because mm. you know because i because ha- having done it <clears throat> one of the things that i i learned probably more than anything else was discipline discipline confidence and to your word character just just a certain set of values and standards yeah. that, that are lifelong standards right they're not they're not just things that you know you kind of just learn once they become who you are your identity so you've lifted the whole, you know, the way you do it is obviously through martial arts and other things, but you've lifted the whole purpose of martial arts to a different level. Exactly that. Yeah. I mean, this is it. Most martial arts clubs out there are advertising martial arts clubs. That's what they do. We don't advertise martial arts clubs. You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't sign up to a martial arts class with us. You, you, can, you can have an, in, an interview with us where we will guide you through how we can rapidly develop your child's character which may lead to a martial arts class, or it may, it may now lead to an online course or a book or a podcast. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily lead to that, but it's, it's, it's tapping into the real pain points of what, what people actually want. And the only reason, the only way we knew that is by asking. <laughs> it's, I know it sounds so basic, right? But people don't ask, they guess. They, no. they guess. You said, you know, you spent a lot of time asking the question, I mean, before you actually, or getting clear on, on the problem and therefore how to solve it before you actually did yeah. anything, which is, which in yeah. itself is interesting. Cool. Well, thanks for sharing that. Cause I thought I just wanted to square the circle a little bit on the bullying piece, but that's really powerful. Yeah, and I think it's a great, it's a great example of, of thinking deeper about what people need and want um, mm. and then solving the bigger problem. That's cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's, let's get into um, as we get kind of the last, last bits of the podcast today, the last bits. Um, 
I want to talk about what you mentioned before. So creating four businesses in four yeah. months, because you've followed <laughs> the same process. You've looked at what's needed. You've stepped back. You've looked at the bigger yeah. picture, the macro, and you've created this stuff. Um, yeah. Let's take it, particularly this rapidly pivoting and bringing new products and services to market. Just take us through that because yeah. that's really powerful. Yeah. I think as well. Yeah, sure. So, so one of the things that we noticed was that, you know, businesses everywhere around us were they, they needed to get online and they weren't able to serve their customers, whether or not it's, it's immediately or for six months or for several years, if there are multiple waves here. So we basically created this, this, uh, this business, which is designed for the, for the pandemic. Um, and so we, you know, I, I kind of created that based on what I've been through. Um, and so, you know, with, with the Warrior Academy, we pivoted that online very quickly. Um, and we use a, a stage release system, which I, if, you, if you've read the book, um, Oversubscribed by Daniel Priestley, mm -hmm. you know, we, we built that into the business. So the idea is that we, 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 the first thing we do is we film a pitch, you know, one minute pitch. And then we, we get that out there. We start building up lots of interest. And while that's going on, we're developing this course. And the idea is that within seven days, we can get the course out there and get the money, money online. Um, but the, the, kind of, the kind of method we use to do that of course, if you are a, let's just say you're a, you're a very physical business like a chiropractor, mm -hmm. we would look at a business like that and we would say, why are you a chiropractor? What's, what's, the, what's, the, um, what's the result you're trying to get for your clients, right? And it was, it was a healthier lifestyle. It was a freedom of movement. It was lack of pain. Um, it was happiness, essentially. All these different things came up. Okay, why are you doing that? You know, what is it that you love about being, in a, being a chiropractor, which, which you love doing. And it was, you know, um, you, know you want to, you want to um, see these improvements in health. You want to help educate people. You want to, um, you know, follow your passion, which is around that. Okay. And so you've got your, you've got your kind of um, purpose and you've got your vision and you've got your values. In between, you've got your delivery. And your, your delivery has been thrown out the window right now because you are only delivering physically. And so... The way we approach that is how can you get the same result? Bear in mind you're fueled by these values. How can you get the same result or solution for your followers or clients without using that physical approach, right? So it's, it's very macro because you're looking at it like, oh, there's only one little bit missing. Because a lot of people are looking at their business thinking, the whole business is gone. That's it. We're, we're over. But actually the, the fundamentals of your business remain. It's just the delivery that needs to change. And so delivery for me comes about very, very easily when you look at partnerships and collaborations. And the way that I, the way that I look at that, I mean, if I look at some of the, the partnerships and collaborations that I've done recently, you know, it's, you, you could be sitting on a lot of IP without even realizing it, right? There could be some things in your business that you do exceptionally well and you don't even realize it. You don't realize how much other people or other businesses or other communities could benefit from that, right? So for instance, um, I was, I, was, I was very good at getting my business online, working very, very quickly um, and using, using the oversubscribed system to, to rapidly release an online product or service and, and to think macro about developing this sort of thing. So that's a product. Now, I partnered with, with Tim, who had an amazing brand, F10, and an amazing distribution and network with businesses across Dubai. So we had product, we had profile, and we had um, distribution, right? And suddenly, whoosh, there's a business. Um, in exactly the same way, um, one thing that we did really, really well, I've, I've spoken a lot about video content um, and repurposing video content. That's something we've got a system for in our business. And we've been doing that for many, many years. And we're, we're very, very time efficient with it. And so, you know, I, I found Jason Greystone, who's, um, who's the founder of Tears of Freedom. 
he's got an amazing brand and you know an amazing um, following and distribution. And so I had this product concept. I went to him with it, and suddenly you know we created a six-figure business in the first month. And it was just by putting these different things together and trying to solve problems that you know you, you someone else may have, which you can contribute towards solving. So it's looking at it that way, and not looking at not, not looking at it as your whole delivery has gone out the window. Yes, but your business hasn't. Your business is still there. What can you, what can you use from your business? Re, what can you repurpose in your business slightly to use to apply to something else? Um, and for me, it kind of had this multiplying effect. You know, it was like, you know, suddenly we went from having no revenue at all to having more revenue coming in than we did a month ago when, when everything was flying. So it was just a case of, I understood on paper how, how powerful um, collaborations and partnerships could be, but I didn't, I didn't apply it until I was forced to. No, I mean, I'm just, there's a lot in this and I want to kind of summarize for people. <laughs> Because, <laughs> you know, yeah, right. the, the, I, I can tell you what's happened. I can, no, 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 it's good. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. No, you're very articulate. No, I can tell what's happened. Like, there's going to be people there, like, they've got their coffee mugs, and they've kind of just yeah. dropped them, right? They're going, <laughs> what was that alchemy <laughs> that, that Sebastian just did? Because, you know, six what figures, four weeks. It's we going should, to be... We should play this, play this podcast at two times speed, and then just finish it on that. Well, I, you know, I, this is, there's a little soundbite here. I think we can just take it out and put it somewhere, right? We'll do it through yeah. ubiquitous through your, your agency. <laughs> yeah. but, but I just, I mean, I'm going to get this brutally wrong, right? Because yeah. my brain's still kind of doing the same thing. I just haven't dropped the coffee cup. So, <laughs> so you've got, there's three things that jumped out to me there, right? Um, so first and foremost, you've got a clear articulation of, of the problem that you're trying to solve. That problem still exists and still needs to be solved, right? You've got yeah. that. You need to productize that. You need to still, you know, have some way of, of solving that in, in some way, shape or form. So you've got to be able to have a method to do that. Um, and that method has to be digital where it used to be analog, to use the terms beforehand. And then the third thing, which I think people miss, is you've got to get a way of distributing that, getting it out there. And there's two things you said there. I think you said you had the way of doing that through a, a traditional, not traditional marketing approach, but a way of getting a communications plan out there through video, through some of the stuff we'll talk about soon, I'm sure. But then you also went to people who had the market. They had, yeah. they had the audience so that you could, you know, put this proposition, let's call it, into that ecosystem. And all of a sudden it's got scale, it's got reach, you know, and that's how you do it quickly. All of those things combined somewhere in some sort of method that I've just tried to articulate. Yeah. That's what you've done. Did <laughs> I miss exactly Did I miss anything? No, I think it's pretty spot on. I, and then, then there's then there's layers to it, right? There's layers there's there's layers to launching a product, you know. Which which for me, it's it's a case of you know, like like, like I said, you've you've got this. When, whenever whenever you're trying to launch a product, if you've got an online community, it's so much easier. Mm. And a lot of the time, when we when we create online courses for people, they say, "I just want a course. I don't want. I, I can't be bothered with the community. It sounds like hard work." And I'm like, "Okay, you can have a you can sell your 500 quid course as a one off." And that's fine, but you're constantly trying to sell. Now, if you have a community, there's there's opportunities there for referrals, for retainers, and um, for this for the for the system you can have in place to pro, to protect your business, and um, in in such a different way. If you look at it this way, right? Most most businesses that I've found that we're helping with right now, they they typically have high ticket items going out, and their their costs are pretty much the same. Now, what happens is if there's a crash, those high ticket items stop, they try and reduce their costs, 
but they're in this position where you know their costs are still higher they're still losing revenue right and they're working locally they're working in one physical location so that for me is the worst type of business model for the next decade and what we try and do is help people develop the best kind of business model for the next decade which would be you've still got these high ticket items coming in you've got an online digital retainer which covers just over or more a lot more than your expenses so now your business is protected by an online digital retainer which could be a community and you've got these high ticket items right and you're not based in one physical location you're based anywhere around the world so you've got this so it's all online you're not geographically limited mm-hmm. and you're got not it. you're not you're not limited to these high ticket items and if you've got that in place you become you become a way more secure business so that's what we try and and do for people so when i talk about um the way in which you launch this if you've got that community and you try and develop that that online retainer from developing a strong community you know you're you're in in that you're in a much better place and um and it becomes easier to to launch new products so if you are partnering with someone who's got distribution for instance um, and you want to leverage that distribution one of the first things you do is you you know you, you go on a facebook poll for instance or, or an email poll or whatever it is. And you would, you would ask, you know, and you start gathering your evidence. So we started gathering evidence for about three weeks across lots of different business groups, not just our own, but other groups as well. But you just wanted to learn about the market and gather, gather, um, gather our notes there. And so we were asking things like, how much time do you spend um, sorting out your social media or posting on social media for your business? Okay, and we got, we got the averages out of that and the data from that. How much do you spend on outsourcing social media? Okay, so we understood what that was. Um, you know, how many, how many posts do you actually get out there a month? And so we started realizing things like most people are spending 40 hours a month um, posting on social media. They get about 60 posts out there a month. Um, and if they're not doing it internally, which means they're doing it themselves, they are spending up to £3,000 a month on video editing, social media management, reporting, um, and all that sort of stuff. So what we did is we wanted to create something which um, improved in all of those areas, right? So we, instead of 60 posts, we wanted to create something which would produce 200 qu- um, posts a month. Instead of spending 40 hours a month, the idea is they would spend one hour a month. Um, instead of spending 3,000 pounds a month, we wanted, we wanted to produce something which was under 500 quid a month. And that's exactly what we did. We, we developed this called you know, ubiquitous, which means to be everywhere at once. And we launched it out there. And you know, on the first day, we had about 30 plus people signing up to it. Um, and it was just because it was exactly what people wanted. And we only knew that because we asked. Yeah, you crowdsourced the proposition pretty much. Yeah. yeah. So no, yeah. I've, I've done that in books and things that I've been involved yeah. in. You know, the chapters you can, crowd, you can crowdsource as well. It's, like, it's like, what do, you, what, do you, what do you want? I want this. Okay, we'll build that for you. How did you identify the problem <laughs> initially though? So because what you did there is you, you're very clear on kind of what was needed. So there's, a, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's an issue here with the way people kind of use and leverage social media to build their brand. Let's say it's that. So you had that concept and then you went out there and researched underneath the concept, but how did you come up with the first piece first? How did you get that insight? Yeah, sure. So, 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 you know, one of the things that I'm quite heavy on is I, is I don't do a lot of physical networking. I think it's, I think it could often be a bit of a waste of time. You may have, you may have seen me speak quite openly and outspokenly about that. You know, I think business cards are a waste of time. No one cares about your business card. That's the sort of thing I'd say, but. Um... That's all right. No, no, I agree with you though. I agree with you. I, I, you know, it's funny. I don't turn up to events with business cards anymore. It's funny when people get yeah. them out. They're like, they're kind of tacky. Yeah. 
and like yeah. you know <laughs> business card Where, where's your book <laughs> well exactly the, well, the books the books are business card isn't it you could have a book and then that's much better much more powerful if, if, you, do, if you do your job properly they should know you before you rock up right well, yeah. you should have you would have dropped your pin on that location well i mean <laughs> my business card i mean and, and probably similar to you is my podcast yeah, that's my, that's my business card because most of the time people have already spent, you know, X number of hours. Sometimes people have actually binged every single episode. I kid you not. When I get onto a call with them or something, they're like, oh my God. I'm like, oh man, this is a bit uncomfortable. But I'm yeah. really grateful for it. But it's kind of like, yeah. you know, they know me before I've even heard of them. Yeah, which is yeah no, I completely know what you mean. So, so, so based on that, really, I, you know, I spend a lot of my time on communities online and I try and, I try and, I, I, I'm part of several groups, mostly on Facebook. And I try and give more than I take. Mm-hmm. So if someone asks a question, I try and give a decent paragraph of my own experiences on solving that. Or I, I, try, and net, I try and introduce people to other people who can help them um, or I- introduce them to my team who can help them. Yep. Um, or, you know, I, I even make videos for people. So if someone's got a problem, I'll literally say, you know, here's a Loom video of how I solved it. So you, so you over deliver in terms of giving value completely free to groups online. And what that does is it means that other people are looking as well and gaining value from you. And suddenly you're, you're building your network. So one of the huge benefits of being a part of these groups and being quite active is you can start to see, um, you know, the same, the same questions popping up all the time. So one of those questions was, you know, uh, which, which um, social media um, scheduling tool should I use? Or, um, you know, how, how do I use Canva? And these are not entrepreneurial questions. These are not questions you should ask. These are things you should outsource. These are not high value tasks, right? The question should be who, who can who can who can do this for me so I can spend time doing high value tasks, and then and I just I almost got a bit fed up watching watching so many people asking these questions and the reality was they there wasn't a solution provided for them that was obvious, so we so I I kind of thought well what if we could just tap into that a little bit explore that even more and expand on it and then and then create something and that's really how it, how it came about you know spotting the reoccurrence of these problems again and again. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of just being curious in this, um, you know, out there kind of just being externally focused as well. And you, and you use the word there, which I think is an an important word just to go back to, which is vital, vital tasks versus, you know, non-vital, let's call it that. So what's the difference? Yeah. So a vital task is something that you, you enjoy doing that lights you up, which you're passionate about. That for me is priority. That's a vital task because that's vitality. It's the point of living. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, vital is also what's what's high income generating you know vital is also what is it is it something that no one else can do so for instance if you're the, if you're the kpi the key person influence for your business you know not everyone can can get in front of a camera and do a one minute video which which you know sells hundreds of thousands of pounds because of the message and the articulation of the message is so clear not everyone can do that that's a vital task not everyone can write an article and and develop that content or you know or record a podcast to get the message out there as well as you could. And so that is a vital task. Uh, not everyone could jump on a stage with a microphone. We can't do that now. So we do podcasts and stuff, right? So yeah. these, are, these are vital tasks because they are, they are what the key person of influence, the, the key person who's the face of the business should be doing. Not everyone could do that. So, so for me, functional tasks are the complete opposite. Functional tasks are things like data entry, emailing, anything that can be outsourced. That isn't A, what you really enjoy, that lights you up, that you're passionate about, or adds vitality to your life, and, and B, doesn't, is not high income generating or very unique in, its, in, its, in what, it, what it is to actually do. 
So, so for me, that's the, that's the two differences. No, good. I like, I like the articulation of that. And I, and I certainly spend as best I can most of my time doing stuff that I enjoy doing. I'm passionate about that is also, you know, has an impact on not just the business, but has an impact on helping people because it all kind of works kind of sort of the short term and the long term with that sort of philosophy. Mm-hmm. No, I get it, man. This has been really good. We've been going for ages. You know what? I just kind of want to let it go because I thought, you know what? There's so many things in here. And as I said, people have picked up, they've picked up their coffee mugs now and they're going, okay, but we've covered, you know, how do you, how do you pivot online? We've gone into kind of this bringing new products and services to market. We haven't spent a little bit, we haven't spent as much time maybe on, on personal branding. So I want to finish off a little bit on that today if we can, and then, and then we'll wrap it up. But how important do you think it is to have a, a face behind a business these days, someone that people can build rapport with or, or you know, they get a level of authenticity? Do you, do you think that is a vital thing that every business needs or is it only relevant for certain businesses? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think it depends how you want to approach your business, right? And I, and I, think, I think people want more of that nowadays. They want, they want transparency more than ever mm, before. Yeah. You know, hundred years ago, you wouldn't have seen the the owner of the business everywhere. You know, they would have maybe been a bit of the gray man and you know, the puppet master, and things would have just gone on. But it's totally different now. People want to see the the owner of the business living and breathing the same values of the business. And what what I've noticed is that you know, if you look at some of the biggest brands in the world, they are personal brands, and the personal brands fuel the business brands. And so and so for me, the the, the power of developing a personal brand is that you've got this ability to very, very quickly adapt, evolve, to create collaborations and partnerships, to create new businesses, and you're able to do that. And you know, if you don't, if you don't um, build your network and your personal brand, you're not able to do that. And, and so for me, my whole focus is switched now. It's, it's really over the next 24 months, my, my push is for personal brand. And I think that's the same for a lot of people that I work with a mentor. You know, it's, it's getting them out there, getting their face out there, getting people to know, like, and trust them. Because the opportunities just start coming in, right? It's it's incredible how quickly the opportunities come in when when people do know you, and and you know if you if you look at some some of the key partnerships I've made recently, it's only because I've got a personal brand within these communities that I'm able to do that. You know, if I if I didn't have that, it wouldn't be possible. So I, so for me personally, I think it's I think it's absolutely fundamental that you that you find a way to to push your personal brand because it's it gives you so much leverage. You know? No, I agree. I agree. And I, I, I'm, I'm having these conversations daily with business owners who you know, are struggling to get with the idea of putting themselves out there because they'll be judged. They might not be, they feel yeah. they're not good enough. And I sit there and say, but you know what, you've got an opportunity now. It's still, in my opinion, underdeveloped, under leveraged that you can go out there and you can get such a jump because back to, I love the word. I mean, I use the word authenticity a lot, but transparency is, you mm. know, if you go out there and you actually, um, deliver the message that you're passionate about, about what you're trying to achieve, how it helps people, you know, and you're, and you're really intense about that. You're not selling, you're actually out there trying yeah. to offer value. Yeah. Um, it just makes a massive difference. I, I, I think it's crazy, but I, I've been doing this as you have been for a few years now. So it becomes much more natural, like anything, the more you do it. Yeah. And I mean, you look, you look at how the world's changing, right? Joe Rogan, what did he sell his podcast for? Was it, was it 20 God. million or something? I can't remember the figure to Spotify, but just, I mean, crazy so, stuff. So that- that's not an indication that we are stepping into a new era of personal brands being being businesses in their own right. Oh God! And and I had John Lee Dumas on my podcast recently, and he's got yeah. a a uh, podcast, very popular one called Entrepreneurs on Fire. And he, yeah. the, it's worth actually people looking at this because if you go to his website and you have a look, he actually puts up his monthly income. He actually publishes it, 
and he's made 17 million in the last five years just off his podcast and all the trickle down revenue that comes from it. And wow. um, he, he will say like it, it took him, you know, years of just doing, I think he did something like two years straight of a podcast a day. So what's that? 700 and something podcasts yeah. before yeah. he even started to get, you know, it was working for him, but it wasn't like it happened overnight. And yeah. people have to yeah. kind of understand that, that, you know, if you're consistent, if you're disciplined, uh, yeah. it will happen, but you've got to just be in some cases just dogged and relentless as well. Well, this is it. You, you know, you know, you and I spoke about the the sort of hidden ROI of podcasts, and it's not even that you might, you know, that you might monetize what's going on, or someone who who follows your podcast might might jump into your product ecosystem and suddenly buy something from you and and you know follow that journey. There's also the hidden ROI of you know your network is expanding. If you look at how, you know, you you and I, for instance, we we we've only known each other for a few months, but because we've done two podcasts together now, we we know each other much much better. Yeah. And you meet incredibly interesting people and you expand your network and there's opportunities within that, which you just wouldn't get otherwise. Do you know no, what I mean? And, and, and that's one of the, I always say, having, having conversations with fun and interesting people, which sounds, mm -hmm. if I just say that, that um, phrase for a second, it sounds very flippant, right? Oh, where's yeah, yeah. the value in that? I mean, mm -hmm. I've had some of the most powerful mentoring sessions, you know, money. I mean, the, the amount of money I would have had to have paid for those mentoring sessions. You know, if I think about right some of the, the high net worths that I've had on my podcast. And it's not, yeah. it's not just the podcast, right? Cause we spoke for 30 minutes before we even started recording yeah. today. Yeah. I had yeah. that with, um, with Neil Patel um, on marketing. He, he pitched me this amazing business. He said, do you want to get involved in? Then I had yeah. another one with um, a guy called Mike Michalowicz who wrote the book profit first and clockwork and some really? of those. Yeah. I had, I had an hour with him afterwards and he's like, wow. his whole mission <laughs> is about how do you, how do you kind of um, get rid of entrepreneurial poverty? Like that's his, that's his mission. So this guy is like every day just doing stuff. And like, yeah. you know, to get in front of these guys, normally, what would you pay? 10,000 an hour? I don't know oh, if yeah. you could. Yeah. But, but you, you've got to start somewhere, haven't you? And it's, you do. You do. And, and I mean, you just got to start. This is what I think. But like, you know, like you said, I was, I was doing like one podcast a day during the lockdown for 60 days and and I was there with a pen and paper throughout. You can see some of these. If you go onto, if you go onto YouTube and, or, and just type in Sebastian Bates podcast, have a look for me in, the, in these uh, interviews because I'm there with a pen and paper, just like taking I know, notes. It's crazy, isn't it? I know, I <laughs> always go so back and- Some I, of the, the nuggets of information you get, right? <laughs> no, I, I, I tell you what, I mean, the, the, the book that I'm writing is, is, is based on what, 80 conversations, really. You know, it's kind of like, I'd like to say a lot of it's my original thought, but it's the curation. <laughs> <laughs> lots of different things but uh no listen awesome mate well, listen um before we finish because i mean there's so much we've covered today it's been it's been awesome i knew it was gonna be a great conversation anyway but it's been um one of the best ones we've had on this show because there's mainly because a you articulate this stuff clearly but but more importantly there are so many things that i think people right now particularly as we go through so yeah. much change in 2020 that people can take away so i want to yeah. ask you one final question really which is what's What's the one thing, this is called scale up your business. So what's the one insight, the one tip, uh, the one thought that you can leave um, my listeners with today that they should be considering right now to help them on their, on their entrepreneurial journey? Based on what we've discussed today, I would say approach, approach, if I look back at everything I've done from the monkey chasing days to the hotel days, to the martial arts days, to the helping businesses pivot online days, Everything I've done, I've, I've looked for the problem and then tried to solve it. Don't guess, is what I'd say. Mm -hmm. don't, don't guess what the problem is because you've got this romantic idea of what your business will be. You know, people fall in love with their business before they've even made their business and they're spending 
£5,000 on brand guidelines and £10,000 on the website because of the concept they fall in love with. But actually, does the business work? And you only know if the business works if you're able to test it. And the beautiful thing right now is you're able to test it because you're able to create communities and, and ask people. So ask first and then build. Get the feedback before you make it and save yourself a fortune in the process. I love that. I think that that's come through uh, most of our conversation today. And I'm going to try and reference that into the title of this episode, actually, because I think it's such a powerful benefit. Cool, man. Well, listen, how, how can people uh, reach out to you? Is there anything that you'd like to leave them with, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, sure. I mean, you can go to SebastianBates.com and then you can see everything I'm up to. Uh, you can look for Ubiquitous there if you, if you want some help with your social media and your personal branding. Um, if you just want to just want to get in touch, let me know. Great. And you're also going to do some stuff on podcasting as well. You've got a, um, a service around that coming up. Yes. Yeah, that's right. We've got a, a service called Frequency coming out to, to really help people push their podcasting. So right. Yeah. So if anyone's got ambitions of getting into podcasting, then then definitely have a look at that as well. Well, listen, Sebastian, mate. Awesome. Thanks for coming on Scale Up Your Business, sharing your wisdom, helping everybody today. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you. It's been amazing. Thank you, mate, for having me.